I'm glad to be able to join you and be with you again. Today we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 3. And uh, this is the fourth vision uh, that Zechariah receives out of eight. And uh, one thing I might uh, mention about uh, the way Hebrew is often structured is that often the key ideas are found in the middle. Uh, to give an example, if you look at Psalm 110, verse 1 talks about the king, verse 2 talks about the king, verse 3 talks about the king, verse 5 talks about the king, verse 6 talks about the king, verse 7 talks about the king, but verse 8, right in the middle, talks about the priest of the order of Melchizedek as a way of highlighting that particular idea. And so as you look at these eight visions, Four and five are in the middle and are in essence highlighted. They're dealing with two people, uh, the religious leader and the civil leader, but they're looking much deeper uh, than those two people. So we'll be looking at uh, the first one, uh, the high priest, the religious leader, but seeing a deeper significance to all that is going on. We'll turn our attention now to to the word of God, Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua is standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord saw me, assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you'll walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house, have charge over my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I have engraved its inscription, declares the letter of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Know that sometimes one of the greatest uh, sources of frustration as a parent is they've going to a special occasion, maybe a wedding, and you get your 
children all dressed up and uh, say, now, you know, stay nice. And you, you hurriedly try to get dressed, and what do you find? Well, the child's found the mud puddle outside and needs to be changed. Uh, we were in Pittsburgh uh, for my uh, granddaughter's baptism. And as they were getting ready, she had a, a really nice outfit. I don't usually notice those things, but she had just the prettiest, cutest outfit I'd seen. And we get in the car and go to church, and they get in the car and go to church. And we get there, and she's dressed in something different. What's happened? Well, on the way to church, she did what most babies can do and needed to be changed. What she was wearing before was stained and no longer appropriate for the baptism. Well, that same sort of idea is found here. As Joshua is standing, really before God, and he's dressed in an inappropriate way. He's dressed in clothing that is soiled, and he needs to have clean garments put on him. And so it's addressing that issue of how does Joshua stand before God in the right way, in the right manner, with the right appearance, and not in a way that is spoiled. And so it's the need for cleansing to be seen as clean before God. And so we'll be looking at five things tonight. One is the ongoing spiritual need that points to there's an ongoing spiritual warfare taking place. Second thing will be the answer to that need, the answer that's found not in Joshua, but in the true high priest who's coming, Jesus Christ. Third thing we'll see is the bountiful blessings that are a result of the work of the Messiah. Fourth, the practical application to Joshua and to all of us as we might have doubts about our service to God. How can we have the ability to serve in God's kingdom? And lastly, the foundational reasons for all this. And so the first point is the great and constant spiritual need. It's for cleansing. Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord. And, and notice, not the Lord, but now the angel of the Lord is being highlighted. And we said in chapter 1 that that would be a reference to Jesus Christ before he was on earth. And so he's standing there as his representative, as his high priest. But there's also Satan there, and he's accusing him of wrong. And the very name Satan means accuser. And Joshua, the prophet would have recognized him, there's something wrong. As he's to go in and the minister, his garments are not suitable. What can be done? And the angel Lord speaks and acts. And the problem isn't so much that Joshua is 
improperly clothed, but on the inside, there's sin in his life. So he would try to carry out the, the work of the high priest. It would be tainted by sin. And you may feel that same thing as you desire to serve the Lord. You look at your life and you see that there's sin in it. How can God use me with what I've done in the past? My ongoing sin. Could I serve as an elder? A Sunday school teacher? Could I witness to somebody at work? They know what I'm like. They know when I'm short-tempered with them. And as you think of the book of Leviticus and the Holiness Code, especially it was emphasized for the the priests and going in, the, the need for holiness and how they were dressed with the, you know, the breastplate with the 12 stones that represented the nation. They were going in representing the nation. And on their head it was a turban that said, holy to the Lord. They were to be representing the, the people in holiness going into the holy, holy place once a year. But even then, they had to have blood to cover their own sin. But even all that's changed. With the captivity, the temple is no more. The Holy of Holies is no more. All they have at this point is an altar in the midst of ruins. And how could he maintain even clean garments? out there in the middle of the street or the city, wind blowing around, dust and all the rest. How can he stand before God? And how can we as well? And so as it mentions his filthy garments in verse 3, It points to really what uh, Satan would be accusing him. That you're not clean. You're not clean on the inside. You're not clean on the outside. And what's Joshua's response? What can he say to this one who accuses him? And in Revelation uh, 12, uh, 10, we see that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's continuing to do that. He's continuing to look at believers and saying, look at this one's sin. Look at your sin. Look at my sin. Look at the elders and what they do. The deacons, the members. Look at their harmful words. Look at their bad intentions. And what could he say? What could Joshua possibly say? He said, well, I tried my best. My intentions were good. I fell a little short. None of those would be sufficient. And we can't say that either. 
And so what's the answer? Well, it brings us to the fact that there's an advocate, our second point. The answer to Jonah's, Joshua's need and our needs is the Messiah, the work of the Messiah. Verse 2, when Joshua is silent, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ acts. He says, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Jesus intervenes, and when he rebukes Satan, he's basically saying, silence. You have nothing to say. My work has covered over his sins. Your accusations have become null and void. And ultimately, two things need to happen. Those filthy garments... The sins that Joshua has committed, you and I have committed, have to be taken away. And they have to be replaced by the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. It's called the substitutionary atonement on that Good Friday long ago when Jesus Christ took our sins on him, paid the penalty by shedding his own blood, so that our sins could be removed from God's sight and replace them with his righteousness. And so when God looks at us, he sees Christ in his righteousness placed to our accounts. He died for our sins. Notice then as you go in verse 4, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I have clothed you with true vestments. The heart of the atonement, taking our sin away and clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. And going on to to verse 5, Zechariah is calling out for a clean turban to be put on him. That turban says solely to the Lord. He wants that covering over of sin to be complete. That Joshua would be seen as completely righteous before God for Christ's sake. Because Jesus Christ is our advocate. The third point we need to see as we look at this passage is the result. There's abundant blessings that are given to the people of God. Look at verse 8 first. Hear now, O Joshua, high priest, you and your friends, and that's probably uh, his fellow priests, you are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Now the language is a little confused, but what's it trying to say? You who represent the priesthood, you're a sign that there's a priest coming, a priest that is known as the branch who's my servant. And all that the priesthood could not accomplish, he will accomplish. What Levi and Aaron could not do, they needed blood to cover their own sins. They were kept by death from continuing to serve. They they were a sign. It's like the railroad sign. It's not the railroad, but it says there's a potential for a railroad right ahead. And these men who are high priests in the Old Testament were saying, 
there's a future high priest that's coming that's going to be different than all the others. And one of the things he does, you look at verse 10, is he brings peace. He brings peace to God's people. They become a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And as you look at verse 10, it's a picture of really the abundant life that comes because of Christ. Everyone is inviting his neighbor to come over, there's nine and under his fig tree, and uh, come and enjoy a meal together. Today, we might think of it in terms of having a cookout and inviting your neighbors to come over and, and we'll watch a ball game together. What's necessary for that to happen? Well, there has to be peace and prosperity. You know, people in Ukraine right now are not having cookouts, I dare say. There's too much turmoil. Too much distress. There'll be no more. Looks forward to heaven when there'll be no more strife, no more warfare, no more hunger, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And in verse 7, it talks about giving access to those standing here, implying that there's a time coming. One will have direct access to God. Looking at heaven. What a bountiful time it will be. We get a foretaste of it here and now as we worship and other times. But there's a glorious future coming. We need to keep in mind What it says in verse 9, I will remove the iniquity of this land in one day. What was it that made the high priesthood of Jesus Christ so different than all the others? Well, think of Joshua as he would serve as high priest. He would look forward to the the day of atonement. That was the, the most sacred day and still is for modern-day Jews in the Jewish calendar. And you'd get up and you'd offer that great sacrifice. And in some ways it would cover sins, but not completely. Because you knew in another year you'd have to have another sacrifice on that day of atonement. And even as you woke woke up the next morning, you knew you needed to do the morning sacrifice. And you get done with that, and you begin thinking about the evening sacrifice. And then maybe somebody came and wanted to present a sin offering or a thanksgiving offering, and there would be more. And so day after day, year after year, 
But this coming high priest would remove the iniquity of the land in one day. And that's the, the inscription that's on that stone. I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. God is going to do something to that high priest that he never did in that series of high priests. So he did, he just did that when Jesus Christ died on Good Friday. And so that removal rests not on Joshua's activity, not on yours or mine, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're made part of God's family and useful in service to him. And the fifth point we need to see is the reason why God acts in this way. Again, it's not because Joshua, not because he happened to be the the high priest and that he was maybe better than his forefathers were or that he was more saintly than others that we read about in the Old Testament or they had more spiritual understanding. And the same is true for us. Look at verse 2. It comes back to God's choice. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. God is choosing a people for himself. From all the nations on the earth, God chose one at that point, Israel. And he makes it clear it wasn't because they were greater or or more noble than any other nation. It solely rested upon his choice. And the same is true today. It's not because you or I are more holy that we have more spiritual insight than others around us, that we have right attitude, but it comes back to God's election. The same idea is really found in the picture in verse 2 of a, a brand puck plucked from the fire. The image is of, of a bonfire, and there's all sorts of sticks in it, and they're being burned up. And somebody comes along and looks, and says maybe, that's going to make a good walking stick and pulls it out of the fire. It wasn't because there was anything noble about the stick or the stick wasn't able to get away from the fire by his own efforts. It's because somebody wanted it for some reason. Somebody chooses it. And that's the same thing with escaping the eternal fire. God chooses and God saves his own. And Joshua would, know, would have known personally what this meant. What happened to his grandfather? Who was high priest when the cap, captivity came along. His name was Sariah. You can read about him in 2 Kings 25. And he's there uh, listed with the civil leaders, military leaders, uh, 60 men, the leaders of Jerusalem. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon takes them all out. 
to a place called Ribla. And what does he do? He slaughters every single one of them. Everyone in leadership. Destroyed. Including his father. His grandfather. His father is found in 1 Chronicles 6.5. His life is a life lived in captivity. Dying in captivity. He has a son there, Joshua, who grows up in captivity. He's basically a slave in a foreign land until he's part of the ones who are restored. His position as high priest is given to him. And are not all those who come to faith like brands pulled from the fire that are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we think about the application, the, these, this message, I begin with, first I'd ask each one, young and old, boys and girls, have you escaped the fire? Do you know what it means to be trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? If you're not sure, you can ask me, you can ask Jerry, you can ask one of the elders. And if you are, it really implies two things. One is thankfulness. How you should delight to be in the worship, to be praising the God who has saved you. And second is humility, especially in the spiritual realm. It's not because of who we are, but who God is that saves us. And third, to realize you've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved to serve in the kingdom of God. How does Jesus Christ want you serving? In his kingdom and in his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for this passage, how it looks at, at Joshua, the high priest, but beyond him, to that one who would be the great high priest, uh, to your son, Jesus Christ, whose mission was ultimately fulfilled at the, Christ, at the cross as he gave his life as a ransom for many. We give thanks for that and for what that means as we experience the new life and the salvation that's through Christ. Thank you wasn't based on who we are, but on the finished work of Christ. Help us to be thankful, to be humble, and seek to serve you in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.